When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I am Ben Bolin. Ben, we are having a uh, kind of an unusual episode today, I suppose. Yeah, so we're, we're going to go for it. It's a little different. I mean, it's kind of blending together two different things because we wanted to talk about trucks, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, we wanted to uh, kind of do a nuts and bolts take on the trucks, I guess, is maybe what we're going to do. Right? right, yeah. We've had some listeners writing to us about this, too. Yeah, we have. And, you know, this is kind of funny. In a, in a roundabout way, you know, we've got a lot of notes about trucks recently uh-huh. and i'm going to mention a couple of them here because one is specifically like what we're talking about today you know just kind of general news and this one comes from facebook and uh, it says uh, it's from sonia k and sonia says uh, hi scott and ben i really like listening to your show thank you very much thank you uh you have a lot of cool topics and interesting stuff and facts about cars now i remember you had a podcast about the history of trucks and that was very interesting to me because i like trucks and i drive trucks at work and i'm looking to buy a truck you know personal use. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it would be awesome to hear about what you have to say about modern pickup trucks and maybe even about their future, where the car makers are going with the design and performance, et cetera. You guys have an awesome show. Well, thank you very much, Sonia. We appreciate that. That's yeah. uh, that's the first one, Ben. Now, there were several of these, right, that came right. in about trucks similar to that. Uh, one that I want to just mention here, because I think we'll get to this one also as another trucking topic. Okay. All right, eventually. This is maybe not today's Topic, but it is truck related. All right, here's one that comes from Tracy B. And, oh, uh, Tracy writes to us pretty often. That's correct. He does. And uh, he says uh, he's from Manning, South Carolina. And he says, uh, hey, Scott and Ben, my my uh, show topic suggestion is trucking. Now, I've been a driver for over a decade, both long haul and local, and I can offer insights into anything that you need. Um, in fact, I'd really like to hear your, your perspectives after your research. Um, he also says there's plenty of fodder for an episode. Trucking is full of myths, legends, misinformation, jargon, and technical knowledge. Um, information about different types of equipment, and of course, J.B. Hunt jokes. All right, so, <laughs> got it. All right. Um, it's funny. He mentioned some of the jargon here, okay? All right. It's kind of funny. This is what gripped me for this note. Uh, where else would you get to make a statement like, look out, there's a gator on the zipper at the 33 and the diesel bears have packed the coop at the 39 yeah. and have it actually mean something to anyone else other than yourself? He says, now that, now that I think about it, you could probably do an entire episode on the jargon alone. Thanks a lot, guys. Tracy. 
Hey, man, thanks for writing to so, us. We're going to do that in a different episode. Yeah, though. we will, because that's a, that's a cool idea. And it just you know warranted a mention, I thought, because, of course, it deals with trucks, and that's what we're talking about today. And as I said, we're going to talk about just kind of new and interesting stuff, you know, truck news, I guess. Yeah. Um, maybe some attention-grabbing facts and some stuff. That truck we, trivia. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Um, just kind of a nuts-and-bolts approach to anything truck. Yeah, so let's dive right in. Scott, off the air earlier, you and I had a little bit of a disagreement, and I want to just go ahead and bring it out in the open. Okay, this is not going to be like flying cars. I will smack down. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here we go, man. What is the coolest pickup truck name? Ah, now, my vote is for the Ford Raptor. And my vote was for the Dodge Warlock. Warlock. Yeah, it's just so cool. Now, uh, uh, some people may not have heard of the Dodge Warlock. It's not as popular as the Raptor, and I don't mean to sound like some kind of pickup truck hipster here, but uh, it was part of Dodge's late 1970s adult toy lines. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen. I am voting for this on the name alone. I do not think uh, this is necessarily the best car in the game. But it was uh, designed to appeal to, like, young 4x4 buyers. Uh, it had a pretty short wheelbase. Um, eh, 318, two-barrel, four-barrel carburetor, 360, 400, 440. Um, the, most, the most amazing thing about it is the name. But we want to hear your picks. So... Uh, remember this, I'll bring it up one more time at the end of the episode, Warlock or Raptor, which is a cooler name. Yeah, or, you know, submit your own. Oh, yeah, do you a know, Dark Horse candidate. Now, something real, don't make it up yourself, of course. Right, yeah, no, that's too easy. It has no. to be a real truck. Yeah, and I'm sure there's plenty more in history that I just couldn't come up with uh, the top of my uh, top of my tongue, you know, just, uh, but the SVT Raptor is one that I think is maybe the coolest name, but although Warlock, that's a close second for me. I, you know what, thank you, um... <clears throat> I wish I could say that I felt the same, man, but for me, it's Warlock all day, every day, all the way. Coolest <laughs> name. <laughs> you, just, you just read about that today. <laughs> I spent extensive research reading about the Dodge Warlock. Uh, you're from Tennessee. You probably have seen a Warlock on the yeah, road. You actually. Know, you probably have. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Because they got around in Tennessee. Listen but... to my generalizations. All right. Sorry about that. All right. So uh, let's move on. How about this? Yes, sir. First thing I want to lead with here is... um some news from Mercedes about uh, what they call the Future Truck 2025, and uh, it's a self-driving big rig. Now, we've heard this stuff in the past. You know, there's right. going to be convoys of trucks, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is kind of Mercedes' idea or the recent idea of what trucks are going to look like in 2025. And it was unveiled at the International Commercial Vehicle Show in Hanover, Germany, uh, just this month, so in September. And um, it, it features, of course, autonomous driving. It uses an array of radar sensors in addition to the latest blind spot system to scan the road and the traffic around the truck to move it down the highway. And this allows the driver, who, as they point out in this article from Autoblog, is typically overworked and underrested, as they, they sometimes are, right. unfortunately. Which Tracy can speak to, I imagine. Exactly right. Yeah, but it allows them to kind of sit back and relax while the truck does the driving down the freeway. Now, that sounds a little bit too... uh you know, wrapped up with a nice, neat bow to me. It yeah, seems it's like a little bit airbrushed, I think. Maybe. I mean, it, it's it's not, I don't know, it's not that, um, I feel like it's not possible. It's just I think there's more driver interaction that has to happen than just sitting in what amounts to like a, uh, a living room going down the road. Right. Like in the states now where people have uh, pass laws, 
that allow for autonomous vehicles, one of the big sticking points is still you must always have a uh, human in the car, mm-hmm. in the, behind the wheel. And some even go so far as to say you have to have your hands on the wheel. Now, that's uh, that's the legal you know, department saying that yeah. some people will not do that, obviously, in Clearly. the car. But, uh, but you know, it's stated there that, you know, to avoid uh, some some legal issues that they may have, they say that the driver must keep the hands on the wheel even though the vehicle is doing the driving itself. Now, I just want to point out, though, that, you know, it's not just a concept. They've actually built this truck, and it's actually operational. They've actually tested it on the Autobahn at 50 miles per hour, and it, it works. I mean, so, you know, it's not just theoretical. Daimler is actually testing this vehicle, this self-driving prototype vehicle. So it's it's out there. Is it going to evolve to the point where this is something that's a real possibility by 2025? I don't know. I mean, that's another, what, 11 years from now? Yeah, this. Uh, I, I think it's feasible that the technology is there the question is about getting it on the street safely mm-hmm. and that involves a lot of stuff that is not technology yeah exactly right and, and i think maybe with some stipulations like you know some of the mercedes cars now that we just talked about that have you know the systems where you do have to have a driver in the driver's seat you do have to have your hands on the wheel legally yeah yep. um but you know the picture here i'm looking at the picture and the driver sitting sideways you know he's uh, yeah he's chilling yeah sure. exactly right he's looking you know towards the passenger side of the vehicle and uh not really paying attention to the road uh and speaking of fantastic segues would you like to know some little known facts about the f-150 i would love to know those uh one of by far the most popular pickup trucks in the united states right people love the f-150 the most popular yeah um yeah that's how i should have said it that's a good point um uh, so here are uh, five facts you might not know about the F-150. First things first, the earliest Ford pickup was not an F-Series, Scott. Uh, it, you know, Ford offered these delivery-bodied cars since around 1905, on and off. And since 1917, they were offering one-ton trucks. Uh, but you and I had talked about the first uh, pickup truck before, the first Factory assembled one came out on April 15th, 1925, um, and these were Model T runabouts with pickup bodies. Hmm, okay. You can get one for $281. Yeah, and the whole lead up to that is in our History of Trucks podcast. Oh, yes. Yeah, spoiler it, alert. It gets complicated. It does. There's there's quite a journey to get to that day in April. Uh, here's the other one. Do you know why it's called the F-150? I do not. How convenient for us. <laughs> so the uh, earliest use of the F-Series name dates to the all-new 1948 Ford trucks. The half-ton model was the F-1. Uh, Ford made the jump to the F-100 naming structure in 1953, but the F-150 didn't arrive until 1975 because this model debuted to uh, evade emissions requirements. Hmm. So it was like a heavy half pickup truck. Uh, rated at just over 6,000 pounds gross weight, and that's the line the line that the EPA drew. Really? Uh-huh. Interesting. And Ford wasn't the only company doing this, man. Uh, International Harvester also did this for 1975, and that's the uh, last year they were making pickups. Uh, they made all half-ton 100 models 150s to avoid installing catalytic converters. Huh, no kidding. So they're trying to get around the laws. That's what was going on. Interesting. Yeah, I saw. I recently saw an international harvester pickup truck at uh, kind of a local car dealer. Oh yeah, way out in the country in Georgia, northern Georgia. 
Uh, it was really kind of cool. You know, it was out in the field type situation. You know, it's yeah. a gravel, it's a gravel lot with, uh, with some, some grass growing in it as what well. What year was it? I don't recall. I, I mean, it must have been pre-1975, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I do not remember the year, but it was in pretty rough condition, but it was, uh, it was really cool looking. I mean, I remember that. I mean, it would be a neat one to have, you know, cause kind of the throwback truck designs are popular now. Yeah. You know, a lot of people like to make them uh, into daily drivers, really, with uh, with hot rod components. Oh, yeah. Drop them down, you know, whatever they do with them. But um, it's make kind of a shop truck as your daily driver. That's always a cool thing to do. Um, it seems like this would be a perfect candidate for that. Oh, yeah, and so versatile, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, here's another one. How many uh, how many factories are making F1s? Cause they're, uh, F-150s? Because they're everywhere, right? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the trucks are everywhere is what you're saying. Yeah, the trucks are everywhere. I'm going to, you know what? I know one factory that makes them. These, that's the River Rouge, right? Uh, that, yeah. That yeah. enormous complex that uh, Henry Ford built on the uh, Rouge River in Detroit. Today, there are only two factories two. No making kidding. all F-150s. It started, they had 16 assembly plants, but those plants were also building Here's the thing, though. Those plants were building multiple vehicles, multiple types. So uh, the trucks were becoming more specialized. The Detroit truck plant opened. Ford started consolidating truck uh, production. And then beginning in the 1970s, uh, Ford split its North American assembly groups into cars and trucks. But I believe, and somebody check me on this, listeners, uh, in case I'm incorrect, I believe that uh, the F-150s are only made in these two locations, one in Dearborn and one at the Kansas City Assembly Plant. Interesting. All right. I only knew about the Detroit location. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of assumed that – I thought – you know, I'll tell you what. I thought that the River Rouge plant was big enough to make every single F-150. It's, it's a huge plant. You know, I read somewhere, and I, I'll maybe miss, mess this number up because it's just the top of my head. Yeah. I think that the factory space at the River Rouge plant is something you – know, the floor – space it's something like 16 million square feet of floor space in that factory 16 million square feet which uh just for size comparison for anyone who's listened to our previous episode makes it larger than the palace of the sultan of brunei eight times larger yeah that's a math. i mean and that's just the uh the inside you know the inside of the factory that doesn't that's not accounting for everything else that's around it i mean there's right. a, the river runs through it you can you know dock ships there it's it's enormous place. It's just so big. It's really cool to look at, and you can I think you'd even still go on tours of the River Rouge plant and see production mm-hmm. happening. So uh, if you're in that area, uh, maybe as part of the, you know your trip to the Henry Ford Museum or something yeah, like that, you absolutely should see it. Go check out the River Rouge plant. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Make a day of it. Yeah, that's huge. Oh, oh, so t- real quick, two more. Um, the longest running component. Uh, on every single F1 that, or excuse me, on every single F series was the front bumper. Same front bumper design from 1959 to 1979. Oh, no kidding. You would almost think that uh, Henry Ford was in charge of that. Yeah. <laughs> resisting change. No one will touch it. Yeah, he yeah. was long gone at that point. But still, um, man, that's interesting. That's a long, long run. Here's the last one, and it's a fun one. Um, so Sam Walton, founder of Walmart. Um, international listeners, you, uh, you've you probably also heard of Walmart, I'm just going to assume. Uh, one of the richest men in America he drove the night a 1979 F-150 custom 4x4 to work every day until he passed away in 1992. And uh, when someone asked him, you know, hey, Sam, you're one of the richest people ever. Why are you why are you sticking 
with uh, Old Faithful over here. He said, what am I supposed to haul my dogs around in, a Rolls Royce? You know what? I love stories like this. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Like, it's it's kind of inspiring. He's a know? simple guy with simple needs, right? Yeah, like how Warren Buffett still has the same house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's really kind of a, it's a neat story. I like that when they when somebody does something like that. It's uh, It always stands out to me as somebody with uh, with good character. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So I've got uh, some more stuff to add to the F-150 news. And uh, this is this is all about the body. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I, I don't want people to confuse this. Now, the the, uh, the news was that, you know, the F-150 is coming out in 2015 with an all-aluminum body. Right. And I think a lot of people groaned when they heard that because, uh, you know, what are you doing to the Ford pickup? You know, it's going to be weak. It's going to be uh, something that, you know, dense. It's not going to take a beating. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. You cannot confuse the aluminum body that they're going to put on the F-150 with the aluminum body that they put on race cars, you know, or uh, or high-end exotics because, Very different. you know, those panels, if you lean on them with your fingertips, it would dent them. If uh, if an acorn literally fell from a tree, it would ding an aluminum body car, race car. Yeah. That's, it's not that aluminum body. This is a military-grade, high-strength aluminum alloy that's used for the body on this thing. It's the same one that's used for the military Humvees. Mm-hmm. So you get an idea that it's a strong, strong body, right? And Yeah, it's controversial because of the misunderstanding when it, people just hear the word aluminum. It is, and there's a little bit of uh, criticism that's coming their way from the steel industry, which we'll talk about you know, mm-hmm. just at the end of this, this yeah. story here. But um, you know, the reason they've switched over, it, the, the claim is fuel efficiency, you know, the, the stronger, stricter CAFE standards that they have to adhere to. So the, uh, the corporate average fuel econ- economy numbers – Mm-hmm. Uh, that they have to adhere to, and the big trucks are just not cutting it mile per gallon wise, according to the rest of the fleet of vehicles. Right? They're the kind yeah. of the, uh, they're the one that they need to make the uh, the biggest changes in. So uh, the 2025 numbers, the targets are really really strict, and you can read all about EPA standards and what they have to get to by 2025. But it's uh, significantly more miles per gallon than they're getting now. And one way that they did this is they decided that they have to reduce weight in all their vehicles. So you know, look for this aluminum body to come out in not just the F-150. They're going to test it here, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going to bring it likely into other vehicles in the product line because it saved, get this, Ben, 700 pounds of weight were shaved off of the, uh, the F-150 by switching over to this body. Now, that's not entirely the body work that saved all of that 700 pounds. They yeah, sh- but that's the primary part. They shaved weight elsewhere, you know, the sure. transmission, the engine, et cetera, you know, yeah. other interior components. But... Um, a lot of it was the body weight. Now, 700 pounds, that's a significant weight savings. Um, now, it still has a steel frame and a few other steel components on, on the body, uh, but mostly we're talking, you know, this aluminum alloy for the body. You can go online and, and look at, you know, the, the F-150 and see exactly what's made of this aluminum alloy and what's made of steel still, if you're concerned. Um, they also will, you know, verify, I guess, the strength and, uh, you know, the light weight of this material. And it's, mm-hmm. all, it's pretty amazing, really, really kind of cool. Um, so they've tested it just as they would any other steel body on an F-150. You know, they have to be, uh, you know, as they say, built Ford tough, right? And right. They, they do verify <laughs> this. And there's really a procedure that they go through. They've, they've tested it in extreme temperatures. They've done over something like over 10 million cumulative test miles have been driven. To, oh, you know, here we go, though. I think I know what you're leading up to. Oh, what's that? You're leading up to the accident. Uh, maybe. Yeah, there's a, there has been an accident and, uh, Unfortunately, the thing just melted right to the ground, right? Yeah, which was uh, also also unfortunate because for a lot of people, that's how they found out 
that the F-150 is going to have aluminum. Yeah, I know. It's strange. You know, this, this reveal happened at the, uh, the, uh, two, was it 2014 International Auto Show in Detroit? Right. And the news came out and it went around the auto blogs and it was a big deal. But I think most people probably didn't really think about it all that much after that. I mean, you know, sure, you and I, us car guys, and, you know, sure. the people that are listening probably knew about it. But the general public really didn't understand that it's an aluminum body until they see this bad news that, you know, there's a, a testing fire. Right, happened. which that's something that can happen. And Ford released this statement as well saying, you know, we're – this is part – in a very nice diplomatic way, Scott, they said – Oh, that's what testing is for. We're supposed to test these vehicles. Well, that's exactly right. And you know, it happens. I mean, and there's, of course, there's going to be bad press about events. Sure. Things that, things like this that happen, right? But, okay, so let's move on past the bad news, right? Right, Because there's still a lot of good news about this thing. I mean, it seats six. Uh, it's got a cool 360 degree camera system, which I think is really neat. Yeah. Um, LED spotlights in the mirrors, which is another neat feature. I mean, it's just, it's loaded with really cool stuff. Now, the fuel economy numbers haven't been given yet, but uh, imagine dropping 700 pounds from a vehicle. You know, the numbers are going to go up, but Ford's being a little bit tight lipped about what the, uh, the fuel numbers are. I don't think the EPA has released the information yet. Mm -hmm. So we don't know that yet. Um, the thing is, you know, the aluminum alloy body does not rust like steel will as well. True. Um, there is a concern about where the steel body or steel frame, rather, and the aluminum body meet at the bed. And there's got to be some shielding that takes place there because dissimilar metals will react and corrode. Right. So there's going to be some problems there. It'll be interesting to you know, find out how they deal with that. Um, anyways, the, the, uh, the, the criticism of the switch over to aluminum is mainly coming from... Um, the, the steel industry. Oh, as okay. you might expect, right? So I found an article on pickuptrucks.com and the article is titled Steel Industry Counters Ford F-150's Move to Aluminum. And they're saying, well, why would you have shifted over to aluminum to save weight when, when you could be perfectly happy with something called, um, advanced high strength steel that we can create? And they say that it has all the, uh, the weight cutting benefits of aluminum, uh, but it's still stronger. And mm. so there's this little back and forth between the aluminum industry, the steel industry, which is better. Of course, you know, they're going to vote for their own and say the other one has uh, this flaw here. And they're going to point out those flaws and and try to make them as public as possible. Uh, but I think right now Ford is considering actually using the uh, the aluminum alloy for other vehicles in this lineup. Oh, that could be trouble for big steel. It could be. But I have a I have a question for you just related to this idea. We know that. We know that here in the States, uh, quite a few car manufacturers have been on the chase to meet different cafe standards. And this kind of negotiation has been incredibly contentious and politicized. And, you know, there's just so much money at stake. Highly politicized. Right. Absolutely. So my question, though, and this this is for you, Scott, right now and, and for everyone listening. Why? What standards should we hold pickup trucks to? Because I'll tell you, honestly, I'll, often when I see, you know, um, a high end manufacturer putting out a pickup truck, I think, you know, why are you doing that? And then I, I, I think of pickup trucks in a very specific sense. They are, uh, utility. The emphasis is on power. That's the performance of a pickup truck, right? Yeah. How much they can haul. Right. And, and so, does like how far can we go chasing mileage 
before we kind of defeat the purpose of a pickup truck and just shoot our own feet. Well, yeah. they're not quite as strict as they are with passenger cars. That's true. So, you know, they do give them some leeway there. They understand that, you know, this is going to be a big vehicle. It's likely going to be boxy. Mm-hmm. It's going to have, you know, some aerodynamic um, constraints that, uh, that, that automobiles don't have. Um, so they're forcing these, uh, these high mileage standards onto vehicles that are, you know, they're boxy. They're, uh, they're meant to tow and haul and, you know, mm-hmm. they, again, they're meant to carry a big crew, you know, crew of people to a job site and, and, you know, everything in the back. And, you know, it's just, they've got a certain shape that people have come to expect. Um, you know, you can't do a whole lot with the shape of the thing. I mean, you can make it a little more aerodynamic, but, sure. um, not a whole lot. They have to have high ground clearance. That's mm-hmm. one thing. So a lot of air goes underneath these things. Um, there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of things that pickup truck owners have come to want over the years and, and really need. I shouldn't say just want. They need them in order to get the job done. I don't know. Is it, is it fair for us to put, you know, these, uh, these ca- these strict cafe standards on them, uh, as they do for the cars? It's, it's lesser. I get that, but. Right. Um, man, are they asking for too much? That's what I wonder. Yeah, that's the question. And of course, you know, we're all for innovation. You can always do something better and it's worth trying it. But my, my question is, um, and, and I mean this just strictly in a performance oriented way. Is this trying to put like a square peg in, in a round hole? I guess you know? so. Yeah. But you know, there's, there's things in place like the gas guzzler techs and things like for that, sure. that, that, yeah. that negate this type of thing. But, um, you know, later, I'll tell you what. This kind of leads into the thing that I want to get to at the very end of this podcast. All right. There's some aerodynamic news that I want to break uh, as far as trucks go. So I mentioned aerodynamics is one thing. Yeah. Um, there's there's an interesting question that I'll have for you at the end here, and uh, and that'll be my last thing. All right. So we'll save that and we'll move on. But listeners, do remember, let us know what you think about that. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Scott, let's let's talk Texas. All right. Let's talk Texas. Um, you know, Texas is often called the land of pickup trucks. I'd buy that. Yeah, I'd buy that for a dollar. Uh, it turns out that Texans actually own 14% of the pickup trucks in the United States. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it is pickup truck country. That is a big percentage when you consider there are 50 states. Right, and it's so so extensive, so popular, uh, that Dodge even offers special editions of their pickup trucks in Texas. The, you know, like names like Texas Edition, Lone Star Edition. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can buy them outside of Texas. The King Ranch Edition. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Good call. Uh, so one thing that's that's funny is um, we often see pickup trucks is a very American thing. Right. That's They're, our exposure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But pickup trucks, as as we talked about in our history of the trucks episode briefly, are all around the world. Of course, they are. Yeah. And we got some great letters from our Australian listeners. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Who, who said, I can't believe you're not doing Utes. What are oh, you doing? Oh, we've talked about Utes plenty of times. Yeah, we have a podcast on Utes. Uh, a whole podcast, and we've got even maybe a little bit of news about Utes coming up here. Yeah, I was going to ask you, that's my lead-in. Do you want to go straight to yeah, it? We'll get to it. We'll get to it? Okay. Yeah, sure. Well, while we're on the way to, uh, while we're on the way to Australia, we can talk about some, uh, pickup trucks in other countries. All right, that's a good idea, but I do have one quick question for you. Yes, sir. And you may or may not know the answer to this. All right. I'm guessing not since you didn't share it, but I wonder, I wonder what state has the lowest percentage of pickup trucks out of the 50. Do you remember that commercial, that salsa commercial? No. New York City. Oh, uh, is that true? No, I, don't, I just like that commercial. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, you know, that that is a really good question. I wonder if it's tricky if it's like Delaware because it's the smallest. Right, I was going to ask, is yeah. it the size? Yeah. Is it just a size calculation? Could be. Um, yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, we're going to find out. But before we find out, uh, we can talk a little bit about... Japan. So we know that uh, before the 90s, a lot of pickup trucks were built in Japan and you could make them private or commercial vehicles and they were exported left and right, you know, uh, by which I mean to China as well as across the Pacific. Very clever. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I worked on that earlier. Um, anyhow, uh, it turns out that during the 90s, uh, the popularity of pickup trucks in Japan domestically, it decreased in favor of sports utility vehicles. And uh, this this was interesting to me because we know that we know that Japan has uh, several very specific car cultures, right? And uh, this is, if anything, a shout out to our Decatur Trucks episode. If you have not listened to it or you have not at least Googled these trucks, do check it out um, because Scott, you and I were floored by those, right? Yeah, it's quite a show. Hmm. Uh. Now, I don't mean ours. I mean the the trucks themselves. They're yeah. quite a show. <laughs> right. Uh, now, the decline of the pickup truck in Japan is apparently a real thing. But, of course, um, in many other countries in that area of the world, pickup trucks are just going gangbusters. Like in Thailand, uh, pickup trucks are used extensively for shipping and transport. 
And when I say shipping and transport, I just don't mean big rigs on an interstate. I mean, you know, almost like taxis, hmm. you know, hop in the back. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, some, the, there's the most notable thing is, uh, something called the two row minibus. And it, uh, it's like the backbone of public transportation there. Uh, and Thailand is the world's second largest market for pickup trucks. No kidding. So let me get this straight. You're driving down the road, someone just hops in because you're going the same direction, or is it something that they're actually charging a fare for? No, they charge a fare. Yeah. They do charge a fare. Yeah. Okay. No, right, I don't think you should just jump in anybody's pickup no, truck. No, probably not. Watch out for the hop-ons. <laughs> Watch Remember out for the hop-ons. Arrested yeah. development. <laughs> um, so little under 500,000 pickups sold in Thailand in 2005. Um, and then, uh, during 2011, even though there was an earthquake, a tsunami in Japan, uh, severe flooding in Thailand, uh, a total of just under 900,000 pickup trucks were manufactured in Thailand. Hmm. So, uh, this place, if you are a fan of pickup trucks, is the place for you, I guess. That's if you're the place to be outside of Texas. Outside of Texas. Outside of Texas. All right, let's uh, let's go back to Australia, as you mentioned before. I finally uh, found my notes, and uh, <laughs> let's talk about uh, the uh, the all new GTS Maloo Ute that is coming out of Holden Special oh, Vehicles. And, yeah, that's big news. Oh yeah, this is big news. So so Holden Special Vehicles they uh, they create um, well they're GM's Australian tuning division, mm-hmm. and they create these unique vehicles and. Um, you know, very low production numbers, and the latest one that's going to come out uh, very soon, I believe, is the GTS Malou, and it has 577 horsepower. Wow. Yeah, 577. Nice. Well, it's because it's uh, it's powered by a 6.2-liter supercharged V8 that comes out of the Camaro uh, ZL1. So mm. you understand the uh, the power-to-weight ratio yeah, here is tremendous. Yeah. I mean, it's extremely strong. 546 pound-feet of torque. And it's rear-wheel drive, and it also has a six-speed transmission that you can choose either manual or automatic. So um, the, the bad news, Ben, yeah, there's only like 250 of these slated to be made in Australia. What? Why? And none of them are coming to the United States. Why? That's <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, just the import, uh, the import laws, I guess. Hey, and, uh, sorry about my tone, man. Likely. I, I don't mean it's your fault. It, it's likely that most of these, or if not all of these, are going to be right-hand drive models. So that's uh, probably one thing, right? Yeah. Um, but just incredible vehicle. If you get a chance to look, take a look at the photos of this thing, I think we posted it even on our Facebook page recently. Yep. yep. And, um, just a, a really cool looking car and a, a real performer. So, you know, they continue to surprise us with, uh, with the Utes in Australia. And here's another one. Yeah. I, uh, I got to tell you, man, I'm a little bit bummed that they so rarely make it to the United States. Yeah. We get very few Ute vehicles here. And, uh, when we do, there's just, there's very, you know, again, very few options, you know, right. very, very little to choose from. Uh-huh. And, uh, the model lines don't stick around for, you know, 20, 30 years like they do there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to pause the episode just briefly. Okay. Uh, you know, Scott, a few episodes back, you and I did a commercial for ourselves. We were talking about our video series. Oh, yes, we did. Yeah. We have a, uh, we have a video mini series, uh, on how stuff works, uh, official YouTube page. But we've already talked about that, so I would like to pause for a second and just give a shout-out to our super producer, Noel Brown. Sounds good. All right. Deserves uh, all the credit we can give him. All right. So 
he makes it happen. I just want to take some time and uh, say thank you to Noel. Also, hey, man, thank you for always backing us up when we, we do something really audacious in the show and we just call out for a sound effect. Yeah, you do that often, I notice. I uh, do. I'm the worst one. Yeah, it's tough. Some of the requests that you make are, are really difficult, and uh, Noel always comes through. Yeah, they're pretty vague. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I'm trying to think of some good examples. I don't know if I can right now, but... Uh, yeah, you always say, uh, hey, Noel, give me some uh, some disappointing music. <laughs> yeah, right. It's very, it's like when somebody, uh, no, we're going to be dating ourselves here, but it's like when somebody walks into a Blockbuster, um, back when Blockbusters were around, and uh, would say, hey, I'm looking for that movie with the, uh, that one guy. He's got like hair and he's mm-hmm. running, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Uh, so thank you very much. Very vague, Noel. very vague, but, uh, but Noel always comes through. If you use paper, you're a human, but if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Scott, you and I have talked before about our co-workers' cars, and we have some stuff in the works about that, and... uh Longtime listeners of our show know that I drive a Monte Carlo and you drive a Honda. And, uh, you know, every, every so often 
you and I get pretty close to thinking it's time to buy a new car. We do this often. Yeah. Know? Yeah. yeah. And some listeners have uh, have kind of discovered that too. They've written in and said, yeah, "I can just tell by the topics you guys are coming up with that you're uh, you're thinking about switching cars, right?" Yeah. So here's my question: Would you get a pickup truck? I definitely would get a pickup truck. Uh, it's something that uh, I've always wanted one. Mm-hmm. There's just never been a great time to get one. And I know that sounds like kind of a cop out answer because you know I could have that as a project vehicle, I suppose, at this point. But sure. in the past, I always needed, um, you know, something with a little bit more room, uh-huh. and or I didn't have uh, the need for one at that time, you know. And there was another thing that was available for a good price, and I went for that instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of kick myself for some of the decisions I've made, you know, in the past where I could have had a pickup truck and I didn't. And now I don't know. I, I, I'd still like one, but I think yeah. I would like more of a like a hot rod version or even an antique. That would nice. be kind of cool. How about you? What's, uh, you you've had a you've had an El Camino, I know, right? Right. Yeah, I I sort of had an El Camino. My family had an El Camino. Yeah, but would you buy a pickup truck now? You know, um, I would, but I don't think I'd buy a new one. I love uh, pickup trucks. One of my favorite things uh, about this pickup truck that my dad used to own was I love the the possibility that if I was going somewhere with a group of friends, I would say ah, I can only take. Like one other person, mm-hmm. maybe two, but, uh, that is a problem. Up, yeah. It's a problem, you know, if you have a family, but it's great if you don't want to be stuck driving people you around. Know, you know, for all that I've wanted a pickup truck, I've been able to drive pickup trucks a lot in my life. I've, I've worked at landscaping companies. Uh-huh. Um, let's see, I've worked on that farm for, you know, when I was a kid, I would spend summers on the farm. That's, I, Heck, I learned to drive on a pickup truck, you know, the, on the farm property. Oh, okay. Um, and it was a really cool pickup truck, an old Ford pickup. Yeah. Um, I just, I've had a lot of opportunity to, to drive pickup trucks. You know, I've worked at, again, I, I said several, uh, landscaping companies and they've always had, you know, either new or old pickup trucks that, you know, were really bad shape or in really good shape, brand mm-hmm. new. Uh, I, I prefer driving in the older ones that were kind of beat up because you, you're not going to really destroy anything on the old ones. Now those were those were pretty big though because those were extended cabs, right? Some of them were. Some of them were just you know the standard pickup truck with you know the regular cab and uh, mm-hmm. you know again like 1970s type Ford vehicles, you know Ford pickup trucks. Others were you know the big ones with dump trucks on the back, you know like hydraulic systems and oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah it was really cool. I've driven so many interesting pickup trucks over the years, but I've never owned one. I you know more and more when I think about what I'm gonna what I'm gonna get next. I'd really like a pickup truck just because they're so versatile mm-hmm. in, in a way that honestly SUVs are not. So, um, we'll see. And I, and I hope that we hear from pickup truck owners about the pros and cons, right? Like everybody knows one of the cons, of course, is that they can slide in bad weather. So you got to weight it down with your encyclopedia set or ah, whatever. That's minor. <laughs> you can always get around that stuff, right? Yeah. I think the big thing is, uh, is, um, passenger capacity. See, that's a plus to me, though. Like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't really want to be in a car with five people. It could be. It's like, oh, I don't just don't have room. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everybody. Unless yeah. you want to get in the back and it's raining. I mean, yeah, that puts me one step away from a motorcycle, <laughs> but that's a different episode. What's up next? Uh, okay. Let's talk about another Ute that is a one of a kind. And this is another one that we posted on our, our Facebook page mm-hmm. earlier, uh, earlier this month. Um, it is the, uh, if you haven't seen a photo of this, you have to really see a photo of it to understand it, but it's called Sparky and it's Nissan's leaf based frontier bedded EV parts hauler that they use at a specific factory. It's a one of a kind, as I mentioned, uh, they, 
They use it in, I think it's in Arizona. Yeah, it's at the, um, the, the Stanfield Arizona Technical Center Improving Grounds for Nissan. And, uh, some of the engineer types there decided that it was a long haul across the, uh, the facility across the, across the complex, uh, to bring EV parts from one building to the next. And they needed a vehicle to do that. And they wanted something that was efficient, you know, so there's the leaf part of this whole thing. They needed something that was, uh, you know, had the ability to carry larger pieces, and that would be the frontier bed, the pickup truck bed. And uh, they mated the two together and made this kind of one-off, um, I don't know, I guess like a shop vehicle, I suppose, but it's, yeah. again, a one-of-a-kind, very well done. I mean, it looks it looks cleverly put together. It doesn't look like, um, you know, something that was Frankenstein together. <laughs> it looks kind of cool. So if you haven't seen Sparky, uh, take a look at it. And then this leads to one other quick question for you about pickup trucks. Yes, sir. Do you remember when we talked about the Rolls-Royce works truck that they used yeah. uh, way back in the day at the Rolls-Royce factory? This is back when they were delivering um, Merlin aircraft engines during World War II. They used this uh, this Rolls-Royce pickup truck as a, as kind of a shop vehicle. Yeah, I remember and that. It wasn't for sale or anything like that. It was just a like a works truck. And there is a, a restoration shop now online that I found that is building a rebodied Phantom 3 with a pickup truck body, like uh, like like the original Rolls Royce um, Rolls Royce truck that they use, the works truck. So you know, if you get a chance, just do a little searching online and take a look at it. But you can see exactly what that original Rolls Royce truck looked like in yeah. modern in modern form, I guess. Okay, this brings us to something that is just a little bit of sidebar. It's a question for you. Okay. Now earlier in the podcast, I mentioned that I'm pretty skeptical when I see a high end car manufacturer making something like a pickup truck. Okay. Now, have you seen the various mods or customizations people have done with Porsches and with Ferraris? What do you what's your take on that? Where where do you fall? I have seen that and uh I'm not really a fan of that. I mean I think it's kinda cool when the factory does something like this, you know, they they put their guys on it and they have them build a, a purpose built truck that's a one of a kind that's used just strictly on the grounds or factory transport. That's kind of neat. That's like a mascot. Yeah, it's using your own product to uh, to do something clever like that, right? But I don't know. I'm not I'm not entirely on board with uh, with people, you know, taking a Ferrari and making it into a pickup truck or a Corvette and making it a pickup truck. Yeah, I mean, granted, it's your car, it's your money, do what you want. But I just i I feel like it's uh, I feel like it's degrading the car more than it is upgrading. It's it. certainly interesting. I mean, I, I like to yeah. see it. I do. It's interesting to look at, but I can't imagine ever buying that vehicle secondhand from somebody else. I see. And, and I don't think that I would ever, you know, buy a brand new Corvette and then turn it into that. Now, again, to each his own. That's my kind of my, sure, my sure. philosophy in this whole thing. You know, some people really, really want that, but um, I don't know. I, I, I'm not really all that intrigued by most of the designs I see. I just kind of look at it and say oh, that's another. Well, that's interesting, but yeah, not for me. It's cool to have a one of a kind vehicle. I it get is. it. Yeah. yeah, I thought you. I thought you would say what, the same thing. What's uh, you, so you feel kind of in the same? Uh, yeah, absolutely, same way, right? absolutely. If I if I had a Ferrari, for instance, and I had decided that I needed a pickup truck, I would buy a pickup truck, mm-hmm. and I would just park it next to the Ferrari, and depending on what I was doing that day, I would choose between the two yeah i guess so i mean there's that whole unique angle you know people want to totally. be unique they want to have totally. one of a kind that's going to be a uh, a vehicle that'll end up on a cover of a magazine somewhere maybe oh okay now you're uh now some, you're playing into showbiz maybe some know? publicity right make a little money off of that vehicle <laughs> right 
Uh, Weird. A right, uh, random fact for you here. Okay. Uh, the largest pickup market in Europe is Portugal. No kidding. Did not see that one coming. I did not either. I, yeah. Yeah. That's all I got on that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, here's some more European news. Uh, right. Volkswagen just recently has unveiled what they call the TriStar truck. It's a concept. Again, it came from the uh, that Hanover show that I mentioned earlier, the uh, the industrial vehicle show. And I uh, just want to say that, you know, this is more like lead into something else, really. I, I mean, right. I'll tell you a little bit about this vehicle just so that, you know, we get it out there. Um, it, it, this new vehicle, which they call the, uh, the T-Series, I'm sorry, it's based on the T-Series of vans. It's called the TriStar Concept, and it was shown on the 30th anniversary of the original Synchro design. So um, it has what's likely to be kind of the next generation design for its commercial vehicles. So that's why this vehicle is important. This concept vehicle is important. And I showed you a photo of this, and you initially didn't like it. Yeah, no. Not to, um, not to be uh, negative or uh, what do the young folk call it? A hater. Not <laughs> to be a hater. But I just don't, yeah, I don't like it. It's a squat design, and maybe that's it. It's very tall, very uh, very short, and it has a, this is why it, it may not appeal to you, Ben, because it has a short pickup bed, and it does have an extended cab, but it also has a short wheelbase. So it has a really, mm-hmm. like a strange, strange appearance. Like someone has taken it from, you know, both ends and pushed it together in the middle. And that's kind of what you get. You know, it raises up in the center. That's what it looks like. It's, I'm uh, just not, I'm just not a fan. It's very, very small. But, uh, anyways, it's, uh, four wheel drive, of course. Um, 200 horsepower, two liter TDI inline four engine. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, listen to this. It has a seven speed dual clutch gearbox. Not bad. Not bad at all. Yeah, kind of strange. But, and of course, lots of torque for pulling. Uh, zero to 60 time is not all that fast. 10 seconds, as you would expect for a work truck. Um, and the top speed is somewhere around 115. I'm actually surprised it would go that fast. I just, okay, here's the thing. Yes, clearly it's, it's guts are working fine and they put together, uh, a good system with it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the gearbox, right, is impressive. I just, I can't get past it, man. Well, the whole reason I brought this up, Ben, the whole reason I even brought up the uh, the TriStar concept is because I wanted to get to something else. And a lot of our listeners are going to say, well, boy, that's unusual. Volkswagen doesn't even make trucks, right? Ah. But they do. A lot of the, uh, the rest of the world knows about Volkswagen trucks. We don't really know about Volkswagen pickup trucks here in the United States hmm. unless you're of a certain age because... A long time ago, Ben, there were some uh, some trucks here in the United States made from Volkswagen um, that were called, well, we unofficially called them the VW Rabbit trucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the world calls them the Caddy trucks, like Caddy, like as in carry something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so everywhere else in the world, they know them as the Caddy truck. We call them the VW Rabbit trucks. And if you're one of the youngsters who hasn't seen uh, the VW Rabbit trucks, uh, definitely do a search online and take a look at them. Some of these are really cool looking. Some of them are very plain looking. Right. Uh, but you know, of course the, uh, the tuners and the, uh, the, the guys that do the stance cars and things like that have gotten a hold of them and made some, uh, some pretty outrageous examples of them. <laughs> they look really, really cool. Yeah. Um, very, very interesting. So, you know, if you get a chance, take a look at the VW rabbit trucks. That's really the only reason it brought up to, uh, to lead into the rabbit truck. <laughs> That's cool, man. Um, check those out if you haven't seen them before. Um, you know, more and more I'm getting persuaded that I should just, Go find an old beat up truck, uh, somewhere on, you know, in the classifieds or something, mm-hmm. get a good deal on it and just hold on to it, you know, just forever, just forever. All right. One of the last things I have, cause I hate to say it, Scott, but we're, we're running out of time as we usually do in a roundup episode. Uh, I learned about great wall motors, uh, great, great wall motors, domestic, uh, 
Chinese uh, car manufacturer that originally started out selling pickup trucks and uh, now are running the market for pickup trucks in China. And uh, the name of one of their most popular models is the Great Wall Wingle. The Wingle? Yeah. Really? <laughs> right? Now, you know what? This is funny because, <laughs> and this may take just a tiny bit of explanation, but yeah. back when I lived in Detroit, we would go to the, uh, the the press week, I guess, for the automotive shows, right? Because we're part of Chrysler and go there. Mm-hmm. So you get in with the, you know, get in early with the, with the press and you get all this, uh, this these sales brochures and information. And the Chinese trucks that were there, or the Chinese cars that were there, always had such unusual names. And we would almost just, just chuckle at them, you know, trying to pronounce some of these. But the Wingle, that's a kind of a funny one. Um, I'm sure there's others there that have, you know, strange names. But oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in the descriptions, the product descriptions and the, the pamphlets that would come around with them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, we're chuckling, we probably shouldn't. But it was a little broken English, you know, because it's a second language to whoever created the document. But um, always good for a laugh. I mean, I imagine that's how a lot of uh, people feel when they read Americans' attempts at at translating into Chinese. Exactly right? right. It goes the other way as well. So it's funny on both sides. I mean, I, I understand people laugh both directions, but no. uh, but that's interesting. Great, the great was it Great Wall Motors? Yeah, and a lot of us haven't heard of it here in the states, but they're a global company. They're in Africa, Australia, the EU, Middle East, Russia, South America. I mean, the more you read the list, it sounds like everywhere but North America. Yeah, just the uh, the federal regulations are keeping them out of here. I'm sure with uh, crash test standards and. Uh, some of the requirements we have, like airbags, things like that, that, uh, that per- prohibit them from selling here. Yeah, maybe, but I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, uh, maybe I should try to find a Great Wall Wingle. <laughs> that would be really cool if you <laughs> showed up in a Wingle. I my, don't know. My new weird mission. Yeah, that would be kind of strange. I'm sure you could find another Chinese car somehow, right? Yeah. I don't no, know if you could import one or not. It's I'm gotta not be sure. a Wingle, man. I don't know if it <laughs> has to be that or nothing, right? <laughs> All right, so I have uh, I have kind of one last thing. If you want to wrap it up with this, how about yes, that? sir. And this right. is a this is a surprise to me, listeners. I don't know what you're going to say. It is, and it's a question for you, Ben. Uh, okay. Uh, and this uh, this is something to do with uh, you know what we've seen on the road for many many years. A lot of pickup truck drivers will drive down the road with tailgate down, you know, in the down position, and yeah. they're doing that for what purpose? Do you think? I imagine uh, either they forgot. To be honest, a lot mm-hmm. of them just forgot. Sure. Uh, or they believe it improves the aerodynamic. Correct. Uh, is that true? That is correct. Oh, yes. okay. okay. So you're right. All right. A lot of people have long believed that the the gate in the down position is far better for fuel efficiency, right? Yeah. It doesn't uh, cause the air to build up in the bed and, and allows it to kind of slip over the vehicle and be now, gone. Right? I don't know if that's true. I know people believe it. I'm here to tell you that it is not true. That is a myth. And uh, it has been busted by Ford. Uh, well, I was watching a video about the, um, the new Ford F-150, you know, the, the one we talked about, you know, with right. the aluminum body and all that stuff, right? Uh, they had an engineer. This is, um, this is from Autoblog, I believe. And, uh, it's a short video that I watched on their site. And it shows an engineer who has, an aerodynamics engineer who went into the, uh, the wind tunnel mm-hmm. with an F, uh, brand new F-150, a 2015 F-150, and, uh, answered the age old question, you know, is the tailgate up? Uh, or down the better position for fuel economy. Yeah. And he can show you with, you know, the smoke wand that they put out over the vehicle that w- with the pickup truck, um, gate down, the wind kind of gathers up in the, uh, in the pickup truck bed and it doesn't allow it to, you know, easily slip over the vehicle as it should. So he puts the gate up in the up position, mm-hmm. you know, like where he would, I guess, normally have it. Right. And the wind, you know, with the, again, with the, uh, the smoke wand, the wind goes right over the top of the pickup, you know, over the cab. 
flows over the bed and kind of hits the top edge of the tailgate. Yeah. And it then kind of skirts on after the past the vehicle. It doesn't gather in the bed like you think That's it would. That's counterintuitive. It really is. And it, it all, you know, balances on the fact that there's this tiny little, um, almost like a spoiler that they put on the 2015 pickup truck. It's like six inches across, maybe at most, uh-huh. on the top of the, um, of the gate. And here's, there's a trick to this whole thing, as I'll tell you in just a minute. That helps tremendously, right? For the air to go over it. But the, the thing is, and you may say, well, I have an old pickup truck that doesn't work the same way. Doesn't matter. They're all the same because there's just that little tiny edge there. The wind flow is completely different over the thing when you have it up or down. You're far better off having the tailgate up for fuel efficiency. And he says it's up to 8% gain, uh, that you can, what? you can get. And so maybe that's the wrong way to say it. Maybe it's an 8% decrease if Ooh, you jag. have, if you have it down. So, you know, you think you're saving, um, you know, fuel by leaving it down, but you're actually costing yourself 8% more uh, fuel economy wise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the gate, the other things that we see in place, like the, um, you know, sometimes you'll see a rigid bar that goes across, you know, right. that, that's uh, in place of the gate or maybe a net. Mm-hmm. He says the net doesn't help at all. That's the same thing as having it down, really. If you have the uh, the bar system, that's a tiny bit of help because there's something there for the wind to contact. It has to have that point where it touches down uh, in order to escape over the back of the vehicle. The best thing that you can add, Ben, to a pickup truck bed is yeah. a tonneau cover, according to Ford. Really? Uh, their testing shows that, you know, that, comp- that really does save quite a bit because there's zero air that gathers in the, uh, the pickup truck bed at that point and mm-hmm. it just kind of, you know, folds over top of it or the air flows over top of it. And what they're doing essentially with this little tiny spoiler on the, on the gate is they're creating like maybe the last five or six inches of that tonneau cover. And it's just enough of a point for it to touch down on oh. and flow over the vehicle. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And he said it doesn't matter what year vehicle you have. It's all the same. You know, the, the wind acts in the same way over, you know, a cab from a 1970 pickup truck as it right. does from a 2015. That's crazy because it's one of those things that I had heard people say, mm-hmm. you know, and they say, oh, I keep it down to make my it's, mileage better or it's something. It's quite a debate. I mean, some people wow. do it all the time. Some people never do it. And it turns out the people that, that leave it in the up position are saving fuel that way. Well, folks, you heard it here first. Uh, hopefully, the myth has been busted. Scott and I have to hightail it out of here, but we hope you enjoyed our pickup truck roundup, uh, which is, you know, as we said, kind of a nuts and bolts that's truck-centric. Uh, please feel free to check out any and all of our other episodes at our website, carstuffshow.com. And if you want to take a page from uh, from the listeners at the top of the show, then you can also write to us and uh, send us an email directly with suggestions for topics. But first, you have to vote. Raptor or Warlock? Oh, that's right. We want to hear from you. Our email address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com.